0: Welcome, everyone, back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods for Report Online, the UCLA site
2: on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. I am back after a week off. Much needed vacation from David Woods. It's just hard to talk to him every single week. But I, I'm back now, Dave. Now you don't have to do the whole thing yourself. It's incredible. It's incredible.
0: That was an exhausting experience. Um, <laughs> I, I had to do so much splicing together of audio tracks because I don't have the uh, the system set up that you do where I can play the thing in my computer and have it also just be on the recording right then because you need like a soundboard to do that kind of in a, in a seamless way. So I had to splice those in while listening to them it was uh, you know what hats off to ryan for doing that like i guess just the one previous week because i do it every other week um but hats off to you for doing it two weeks ago because uh, it was a lot of work last week um you know for the i don't know 300th time i've done that that's
2: all right show. you know I, you did a good job i thought it was a good solo podcast i got to listen to it while i'm taking a walk around the neighborhood and i thought you did a great job uh so if you don't if you missed it uh, we originally previewed the Pacific Northwest schools. And last week, David did the mountain and Arizona schools, the mountain and desert guys. And today we're going to do all the California schools. And, uh, but if you, we want to hear from you and Dave did a great job answering questions last week, we got a bunch of emails, packed at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us a question about anything next week, will actually be the week before the season starts and we'll be able to do all our picks and stuff like that. So if you have any questions heading into the. First week of the season, pac 12 podcast at gmail.com or call or text us at 424 532 You can do the Twitter thing at Pac12podcasts. I've been trying to just retweet some of the publishers around 24-7 sports if some newsy thing comes up, if I see it. So I'll try to, we'll try to get some more Pac12 stuff up there on the pac 12 podcast Twitter, uh, the website is pac 12 podcast.com and we have a Reddit page at Podcast of Champions. Check that out. And of course, any of your Apple devices, go to the Apple podcasting app, subscribe and rate us. Give us those five stars. Say something mean about us, how we're terrible looking, whatever you want to say. But give us the five stars. We really appreciate it. And I think we have a new review, David, from uh, we the last time the
0: show. We do indeed. This is from Cameron M. C. May 8814. And he followed directions. Five stars. Gearing up for football. Longtime listener, great podcast that includes two of my favorite things Pac 12, USC, football, and random useless facts on American history. Keep up the hard ish work. Love it. Yeah. Mostly so. positive.
2: We haven't you had know? some American history lately. We haven't done much. No, no. And
0: I, I, you know, I mean, we're getting into the season now. We generally stick, no, I wouldn't say completely on football, but we stick a little bit more on football during the season. Um, you know, maybe the maybe there'll be opportunities. Um, certainly questions generally dictate what we talk about in the back half of the show. So if you have questions about American history that you want us to answer, you know, we're happy to do it on this show. We're happy to really answer anything you ask us. Um, you know, within reason. Like, I don't know. Actually, I'm trying to think of a, of a conversation topic I'd be uncomfortable answering. Like, I would talk about my bowel movements on the show. That'd be fine. <laughs> i'm <laughs> cool with it
2: i think it would david would really talk about anything um usually though it's when we like mention something like if you say oh like the mandalorian is coming back which it is coming back on friday uh, i'm gonna keep that stupid disney plus subscription because it's, it's like mine runs out like in a couple of weeks but i'm gonna have to keep it for an extra couple of months to get the whole mandalorian but you just mentioned something like that and then we'll get like three or four questions the next week about star wars or whatever
0: that's true. That's true. And we're anticipating a bunch of that. So, you know, I think we'll have a fun season full of it. Full of, a bunch of different stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, but there's lots of uh, newsy stuff uh, to sort of get to. Uh, we'll go over topics first and we'll do our previews of the, those four California schools. Um, I know John Wilner wrote about this. People have asked about it. We don't know what week seven the format's going to be, David, outside of the championship game being on um, Friday. But we already we've seen in the Big Ten, you know, they are similar situation where you're you have nine weeks, to, you know, nine weeks to play nine games. The Pac-12 has seven weeks to play seven games. Will they use that week seven as a you know, potential makeup week? Because we've already seen Wisconsin and Nebraska uh, get postponed or get get canceled and there's no chance to, to redo that. So I'm curious to see what the Pac-12 ends up doing with the week seven format, but the Big Ten, you know, being one week in the season, already having a team having to shut down football operations, that doesn't seem ideal because there's obviously no wiggle room.
0: Yeah, and I, I think context is important. Uh, with currently experiencing essentially uh, maybe even a little bit worse relative to population size, what California experienced in July and August from like a statewide um, COVID kind of case outbreak standpoint. So I think there is some important context there that, Wisconsin is currently having it worse than basically every other state in the union. So uh, keep that in mind. I think it's a small grain of salt because everywhere in the, in the country is, you know, currently having, um, you know, continued pandemic, but Wisconsin has it particularly bad. So I don't think we necessarily need to, um, uh, suddenly think that everyone's going to get canceled or what have you. That being said, um, Planning for the eventuality that um, some team or some number of teams in the Pac-12 are going to have to cancel a game each. Um, perhaps more than half the teams will have to do that. I think is possible. Um, the pandemic has gotten worse again suddenly. Um, I think averaging like something like seventy thousand cases a day right now. So who knows if that suddenly gets a, a lot worse on the West Coast again? Um, and I think we. It would behoove the Pac 12 to have that built into the plan. I'm still, again, kind of confused why they haven't, why all the leagues haven't combined to work with the college football playoff to just push things further back um, to allow for maybe a little bit more makeup time in mid to late December beyond what's already there. Because I think truly what you would want to do is schedule a seven game season, have that seventh game be a real game for everybody. um, And then have another extra week beyond the pac-12 championship where you could potentially play makeup games which will almost certainly have to be played at least it, logically we have to assume that at least one or two pac-12 teams are going to have game games canceled this year
2: yeah no I think that would be smart and if, if we see more games cancelled especially if a pac-12 school or a big big 10 school cancel there's no chance to make those up so in the other leagues we've seen like Florida I believe get but they could Postpone games where the Big Ten and the Pac-12 cannot. If we're seeing more of those, um, then maybe there will be a lot more talk about moving things out. Uh, the one interesting thing, the Big Ten, um, their quarantine time. So I think it was 12 different people in the Wisconsin program, including Paul Chris, the head coach. Half of them were players, half of them were like, staff people. But if you're a player, you have to go, you're, you're quarantined for 21 days following your first positive test. And I think that's mostly to do with the myocarditis stuff. I talked to some people in the PAC 12 and they thought that was kind of overkill, but I don't think unless I'm mistaken, the PAC 12 has really, you know, kind of made these determinations. There were some recommendations for things, but I don't think there's the set set in stone protocols, uh, yet. And John Wilner was reporting that the PAC 12 council is going to meet, um, this week. I think they were meeting Tuesday and and Wednesday to address some of those, those issues about like, what are you going to do in week seven? What happens if, uh, you know, it's a false positive uh, like we saw with Nick Saban? Can you just get a few, you know, tests that all show negative and then you can come right back? Um, So I think the Pac-12 Council will try to determine some of that this week. You know, seeing the data that's come out from, you know, the several weeks of college football across the country and then maybe that first week in the Big Ten. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So we'll see what the Council says. It's a group of like athletic directors and i think there's some students and some administrators on there so there's like a a council and and to see do you think that 21 days does seem like a little excessive just to like take somebody out
0: yeah i mean looking at uh kind of the the science around COVID and how it transmits and everything that seems like it's providing way too much of a buffer at that point um i i guess in rare instances that can be worthwhile, but they're very few and far between. I would think you would want whatever the system is to catch, you know, I I mean, if you're going to go and have a season, I don't think you can also be that stringent. Um, I think the most stringent thing is, and and, not to bang that drum again, but if you're going to be so stringent that you're going to have a 21 day quarantine period, you should be so stringent that you're not having a football season because one is going to dictate the other. Like there's going to be transmission. You have to be comfortable with it. Um, and I don't, I, am I, my dog in the fight is well known to everyone here. I, I don't think there should be football right now, more than likely, but if you're going to have it, then don't try to keep your, your feet in two areas, right? Like try to, you know, go with the plan that makes sense, which is probably, you know, a lesser quarantine period, um, that jives with what, I don't know, 95% of cases end up doing, right? Where you show symptoms within a few days and then you're contagious for, you know, seven days after that okay so 10 to 14 days that seems much more reasonable certainly not 21 days that's i think you might catch all of them then which is great and good news but the best way to prevent transmission related to your football season is to not have one and if you're stopping short of that you might as well stop short of that to the point where you can actually functionally play a football season with that level of quarantine wisconsin might not play this week and then they might not play next week or the weekend yeah
2: yeah that could be, uh, it's, it's from the time you test. And I, I believe they were trying to do this for, you know, to check, to do the, uh, um, you know, they do examinations of the heart to make sure there wasn't any enlargement of the heart, any kind of, uh, you know, heart elements or whatever, uh, heart events that would happen, the myocarditis stuff. I think that's sort of why, but it doesn't seem like that's really reasonable. Like, yeah, if, if you're of a, a nine week season and, Anyone test positive, you're out for three three of those weeks. It just seems kind of uh, overkill. Like you're saying, like if you're gonna do that, you might as well not have a season. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you saw, uh, you know, you're not a big baseball guy. Are you a Dodger fan or not really? Or
0: I was an Angels fan, and then oh. I was a non-baseball fan.
2: Right. Okay. But the, you know, the Dodgers won the World Series. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but the most bizarre, like it couldn't be any more 2020 COVID story that. Justin Turner, like the heart and soul of the team, the third baseman, um, you know, they, he gets tested on, I think it was Monday and the test comes back inconclusive, but they don't find out it's inconclusive until like the, that, night or whatever during the game. And then bullshit. he had a test on Tuesday. Sorry, and they're I, like, I
0: coughed. I coughed. Did you hear it? It was
2: bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and then, he ends up like they find out during the game that he was positive, gets pulled in the eighth inning, in the locker room, tweets about it's a bummer, I can't celebrate with my teammates. But then he's out there celebrating with his teammates. They, you know, he has a mask on at first, takes his mask off, they're taking a picture, so everyone takes their mask off. He's next to Dave Roberts, who's a cancer survivor. Uh, I mean, kissing his wife. It's just like it was insane. And I mean, I don't, I honestly, it's like, he's been around all those people. I'm like, you want to go out and take a couple pictures. I, I mean, but it's just, it's not great optics, obviously, but how do you get tested during like the PAC 12 will have rapid testing every day. You will, you know, if you're a USC football player, or you're a Washington football player, you can go to the facility six in the morning, get swabbed, get tested. They'll know within the hour, if you are positive or not, then you don't go into the meetings. you know, I was like, it knows you can't start your day. If you're positive, how does the. Major League Baseball, that's in a little bit of a bubble, have it like they're sending crap out to a lab. It doesn't make any sense to me how that works. Yeah, worked. they
0: never I, they never really figured out their testing protocols. Um, I don't think even during the season in a way that like was as robust as what you know even some of these college leagues are doing. Um, but yeah, I mean the whole thing was strange. Um, I I do call BS on some version of this timeline. I could 100% see a much more logical scenario where. The Dodgers or Major League Baseball learns that he's got a positive test and then is like, let's let's just get through today. And if the Dodgers win, no big deal. We can make case of it. We can just say, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to pull him in the eighth inning or whatever. And then that way they don't have to cancel game six and potentially postpone for like a week um, because it was potentially a decisive game. I think if it had been game three, maybe we would have heard about this before the start of the game. Um But I think the fact that it was potentially decisive, they can get this thing put to bed. um, I don't know. I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but that makes a whole lot more sense than whatever that bullshit explanation was for what went down.
2: Yeah, it was just, I mean, obviously just bizarre. And I think they went 58 days without a positive test. And the first positive test you get is like during game six of the World Series, like in the game, like. And yeah. you know, when you find out like they, why'd they pull Justin Turner? Oh, he tested positive. Like what he, what he tested like during the seventh inning stretch. Like, what are you talking about? It was so bizarre. And then for him to come out and he's getting crushed. I mean, I'm sure some people don't, but they, a lot of people are crushing him for coming out and, you know, being next to Dave, Dave Roberts without a mask, who's going to be susceptible, you know, because he was, uh, you know, he, he, he was going through cancer treatments and stuff. Um, I don't know. Maybe the pitcher price was right when he opted out. <laughs> He's like, I, those guys are going to be too loosey goosey about this. But I mean, they were basically in a bubble. You know, they were like, in that they were in the last three weeks. I don't. It's got to be so bizarre and how that happens. I, I just, I just thought it's one of the craziest stories uh, in a crazy year of 2020.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fun, fun and interesting way for the season to
2: end. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. We also know, um, and you know what kind of impact that has. Uh, but we also know the start times of the first week of college football and where they're going to be played. So we already knew USC and Arizona. We're going to be Arizona State was going to be on Fox that 9 a.m. game. So uh, Arizona at Utah will be 1 p.m. So these are November 7th games on ESPNU. So that'll be the first Pac-12 one after the opener uh, at 4 p.m. You got UCLA on the road at Colorado. That'll be on ESPN2. Opposite of Stanford at Oregon on ABC. That'll be four thirty, half an hour later. Uh, then the evening game, seven thirty p.m. These are Pacific times, so we got some Pac-12 after dark. Uh, Washington at Cal will be on ESPN, so that's a that's a really good one, a good one in the opener, and I think that's great. You know that ESPN is going to carry it, and then you'll have Washington State at Oregon State uh, on FS1, also at seven. 30. So it should be a fun opening weekend of college football.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, gonna be a lot of fun. None of them on the Pac-12 network, so that'll be great because everyone can actually watch these football games. Um we'll see if Washington State and Oregon State get superseded by truck racing because that's on FS1. Uh <laughs> but otherwise, um I'm really excited for a 9 a.m. game. Uh I think that's gonna be a ton of fun. I wish there could actually be a little bit more earlier in the day. Um I'm looking at this still from an East Coast perspective just because I'm never gonna get my mind fully out of there but this is four games after 7 p.m. kicks east coast. Can we can we get back to like having a couple of games at 12:30? What happened to that? Yeah. Come on. Um but overall, no, I like the schedule. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh week 1 in the Pac-12 will be a good time. Yeah,
2: you know, they're they're getting some, you know, late games with the Mountain West. Um that they've already had cancellations and stuff too. They've had some crazy stuff going on, but I think the I think the Pac-12 after dark games are going to do well because they've, you know, people been jonesing for them. They haven't had them like there was like a BYU game. There's been some late games, but uh, not much. So at least there's going to be some opportunity to watch some good football, and uh, there's some really good ones, you know, in there. That definitely that Washington at Cal, and uh, I got a little little bittersweet or whatever. Like I'm we're figuring now. I don't know if UCLA's talked about the credentials, but there's it's really hard to get into these football games now. And usually I have like five people credentialed for a game. Um, We're going to be limited to like three and I'm actually not going to, my plan right now is not to be in the Coliseum. I'll have, you know, people that, you know, other writers that work for me uh, work in there. So I'll do stuff from home, but that will give me an opportunity to watch more games. So kind of interesting, but it's just weird just with the pandemic. uh, It's going to be a lot different covering these games. And even if you're there, you can't do that much differently. You can watch it from the press box or whatever, but you're not going to be able to interview players in person. It's all still going to be over Zoom anyway. So um, it's a, it's just going to be strange, like, covering these games. But excited to do it, but it's just going to be a whole different, you know, feel. Yeah, it'll be historic. Do you know what UCLA's credentials are like? Are they going to allow, like, can... Um, you know Tracy get a bunch of people in, or is it just, or is it limited? I
0: honestly haven't even asked because I have absolutely no interest in going to the press box
2: uh,
3: yeah. to
0: cover any of this stuff because of the exact reasons you've mentioned. Um, but I'll check with them. Um, I, I, I would imagine they're doing something similar to what every USC is doing, which is allowing people there. But what good is that? Um, so we'll see. Um, But I'll be covering it, uh, as I did in the East coast from the comfort of
2: my own home. Nice. Uh, so I think the PAC 12 policy is there's, there's only going to be like three photographers on the field. So there'll be like the, the services like AP, um, Getty and USA today. So we normally would have a photographer and a videographer. We're not allowed to have those on the field. We can have someone like in the stands shooting some photos, um, but so it's going to be a lot different. And they're splitting up, uh, at least in the Coliseum, they have to space out the press box and they'll keep all the, everything open so it's open air. And, but there'll be less people in it. And then they're going to open up the, the, the roof, which is like they had as a 1932 club that they opened in the renovated Coliseum, will be set up as like an auxiliary press box. Like, so it's spread out up there. Um, again, an open air situation. So yeah, I, I'm, you know how many, like how much media is going to be available for, you know, out of, out of town media, like coming in. Um, you know, I've already heard like when we try to get credentials for some road games, it might be super limited. Like there's only a couple of road credentials at all, like, you know, for all the newspapers and everybody. Um, so yeah, I, how these are going to be covered. It'll be interesting to see when that rolls around too, like what, what the policies are, how that's going to work. And you know, if they're effective or not, or if they just seem stupid, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to see.
0: Absolutely. I think it's going to be a very interesting season from that perspective as
2: well. The, uh, the as far as like programming, uh, Wilner did a great piece uh, earlier on uh, on Wednesday about the programming plan for the Pac-12 network. So as you know, all the games are going to be on Fox, ESPN and uh, the executive vice president, Larry Myers. He said there are partners. We're one big family. Um, so they're fine with all those games being on there. They can make more money. Um It was a financial necessity because the, you know, the conference generates millions of dollars per broadcast uh, and it doesn't do that for the Pac-12 network. So um, a conference source told Wilner it was an easy decision. Some of the so what is the Pac-12 network going to do uh, during this? Um, So there's not going to be any midweek studio show uh, on the network. Um, The pregame show that they would do on Saturdays, that's scrapped. They're not going to do anything from campus. the campuses like they were going around. They're not going to do anything from San Francisco uh, because it's really more effective when you're leading into a Pac-12 network game. They don't have any of those. Um, They will have some short-form content on Saturdays on their digital platform that should be available for free. Um, They will have a post-game show on Saturday night. They'll use the San Francisco studios and Ashley Adamson and Yogi Roth will be doing that. They say it's going to be kind of a fun and light show, but um, you know, we'll see what that they will do, and you'll like this Pac 12 uh, and 60 broadcasts. Um, so they're still scheduled to air those each week. And uh, they will, they're going to show a ton of like basketball games and everything. So it's going to be robust for that. But as far as football goes, I, yeah, it just doesn't look like there's going to be a lot of programming, David, for the Pac 12 network.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think we kind of knew that with lack of games on there. So. I mean, we'll see. Um, I, I'm, I'm still not betting on the Pac-12 network continuing to exist in one year's time. But stranger things have happened. And I know there's a lot of people in the leadership who are very invested in that and have tied their, um, essentially their entire tenure here to the creation and, and distribution of that network, including Larry Scott. So uh, I'm sure every effort is going to be made, be made to keep it. But I just don't see how it's going to be viable with no football season for yeah. them to air.
2: And no football season and really no football analysis, like no content.
0: I mean, you, you, you fired your real studio guy, um, and most of the rest of your talent is not working right now. So I, man, I just don't know. I, I, I think basketball, look, what I know, um, just from like a UCLA perspective, everyone thinks of UCLA as a basketball school, Right. Well, I can I can tell you for bro, and this is historically over the last 20 years, even including those years, what drives traffic is football. Bad football drives traffic more than good basketball, even at a basketball school. Um, it's just the reality of it, and it's going to be true for the Pac-12 network too. If you do not have football, you don't have a network.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and you're I think you're exactly right, and that's going to be hurtful for the Pac-12 network. Not even. I mean, you could argue they should go wall to wall, like analyzing football and they should they should
0: they should hire a new studio person and they should just have like go low fi and just reach out to like 15 different Twitter dudes who do like X's and O's breakdowns and just have them do shows about what different teams are doing X's and O's wise or whatever, but have content about football. You have to. Um, And they can get the same like media rights that ESPN gets for like SportsCenter clips. Like you can still show clips, even if you don't have rights to the actual games themselves. Um, Like that's fair use. And then have somebody just like breaking stuff down. Uh, You can do that all day on (laughs) Sunday. Um, Talking about whatever went on on Saturday. You can do it during the day on Saturday. Like, hey, this game just ended. Do a studio show that's ongoing. Um, But I don't know. I I think they could get creative with it. Without having the content and still draw some eyeballs, Um, I would. I mean, if I were them, I would obviously branch out much more into something that is uh, maybe get outside of just pure TV. Try to do some podcasting. Just keep your you know brand out there a little bit more because they're not going to be people are not going to be tuning in at all
2: um, during football season. We'd work cheap, dude. We would work cheap.
0: That's all I'm saying.
2: We'd babble. We're down to babble. We could talk. We want a loose studio show. We can talk loosely, loosely. Talk about Pac-12 football. We'll
0: even remove the tagline from the show. We're, yeah. we're we're willing to be bought. It's fine.
2: But I mean, just even that though, I think people would tune in. You know, they would just like you. You know, a couple of guys talking is, Pac-12 football. But like,
0: and this is no knock on it because I'm not trying to knock those sports because I think they are valuable to the schools. But like, will this perform any worse than like a water polo game that you show on the Pac-12 network? No. Like us be talking, be well, we get we get ten viewers as we get ten listeners as it is. Would those same ten people sign up to watch us on TV? Maybe. That's and awesome. is that more than the water polo game got? Probably. Yeah, I mean, we'll get our friends and family the same way the water polo team gets their friends and family to watch the games.
2: Yeah, I think like a lot of those things, I think could be, if when they redo the deal, you let the schools have their own tier three rights. They can produce, and. Live stream the water polo games and the lacrosse games and things like that. That just makes more sense, you know, than having to put it on one of seven networks that nobody's watching. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. I got it.
0: I got it. I got to touch on this.
2: Is there
3: a food? Okay. okay.
0: Yeah. 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 So, uh, LA Times came out with a story, I think it was yesterday, um, where they really got into the weeds of what UCLA is spending on food relative to the Pac 12, uh, the rest of the Pac 12. And it is astounding. I'm going to lead off with a caveat because I think it's important that we acknowledge the caveat before getting into the absurdity of this whole thing. UCLA does not have its own athletic dining hall. It does not have its own athletic food facilities within the Wasserman Center. The, so the football team has to basically get food from somewhere else delivered, essentially. So from UCLA catering, from outside vendors, so on and so forth. OK, that's the caveat. A lot of schools don't do that. I'm sure USC has its own dedicated hall or whatever that the athletes can eat in. A lot of schools have their own dedicated areas within their football facilities where the athletes can eat, you know, cooked meals or whatever, right? UCLA doesn't have that. UCLA spent $5.4 million on non-travel food last year. That is almost five times more than any other Pac-12 school that was listed in this report, which obviously does not include USC and Stanford. Five like times more, nearly. Uh, I think the closest one is like 1.2. So that's absurd. Um, and that is double what it was the previous year. So this is a cost that is rising. Um, It is entirely a rolling cost. Like there's nothing that's going to make this cheaper in the short run if they continue with the methods they're having. Because, again, it's not like they had upfront setup costs because they are literally just ordering out, essentially. It's catering. It's ordering out to barbecue places. There was some note that they ordered five times from a barbecue restaurant in Arizona that cost them $40,000 for five different lunches. Um, I did the math on it. If so, I'm just guesstimating 120-ish people between the team and some staff. Like, you know, it might be a little bit more. I just guesstimating. Um, it so at 5.4 million, what they are spending is essentially $40 per person per meal every single day of the calendar year. Like if it's basically having like a cheaply catered wedding three times a day. All year. Wow. It's I, 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 I struggle to wrap my mind around it. I, it would be cheaper. I was trying to do the math on this piece because the next most I could find among anybody, like countrywide, was like Ohio State. And I think they spent 3.4. So let's even set that as the benchmark. Westwood food costs are higher, whatever, Right. What would your upfront setup cost be for literally buying a house in Westwood for like three million dollars, outfitting it with an insane kitchen that can feed everybody and then getting your own staff of chefs and caterers for like, I don't know, six, eight people like all of that upfront cost. That's probably like, I don't know, five million bucks, something like that. But then you don't have to spend that again. And then you're just paying salaries and um, your food costs forever. That would be cheaper than rolling with $5.4 million a year for food.
2: (laughs) When you and you read some of the the menus, like first of all, I got hungry. Just oh my God. It It, seemed like it was like, oh, this is this was like a Mastros menu. Like there would be, you know, like truffle this and lobster tail that. Like they were like, whoa, what is going on? It's like
0: you're eating like a mid-career banker. Like like you're an eye banker, (laughs) and this is what you're eating with your like you know, you're ordering out and getting like Wagyu or I mean, it's just nuts, dude.
2: Yeah. Well, Tip Kelly can. Uh, I mean, that's got to be a recruiting tool, right? Like, hey, you're going to come and eat well when you come to UCLA. Maybe not anymore, but you will. You're not
0: going to win games, but you are going to eat like you are, um, you know, a partner in a law firm. Jeez. Good stuff. Just absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah insane that they are spending that much money on food. And I am somebody who's advocated. They needed a training table. Like they did not really have much under Mora. They needed more. Um, but the uh, absolute like nonsense of paying $5.4 million a year for food is I, I, again, I cannot wrap my head around it.
2: Yeah. I'm curious to see what, what that does how that changes. Like, well, we can't do that anymore. You know, one of those things.
0: Yeah, excellent. Exactly.
2: All right, before we get into the previews, I want to let everyone know about my bookie. Ever since we started doing this, people keep asking us for advice on all kinds of things, but in covering sports, it's usually about who's going to win and which team they should bet on. you got the Patriots, the 49ers, Bucks, Raiders, Cal, Washington. Who do you like? The best piece of advice I can give to anyone is when you're betting, it's just as important as who you're betting on. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. It's why I tell people to visit my bookie. They've got the deposit matches, free bets and huge cash cash prize contests for you to take advantage of all season long. You love the NFL action pac 12 action. Of course, all of college football. Plus they have a mobile friendly website and top of the line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. My bookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in game live betting, making sure you're covered every step of the way. Congrats if you're one of those to cash in in the generously early season odds on the Lakers to win the NBA championship. Maybe a lot of our LA peeps did that. Sign up for my bookie today. When you do, use promo code PAC12 to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar, all the way up to thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and head start on your winning season. That's promo code PAC12 for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. So there's stacked UFC cards. You can bet on the president presidential race all the major sports of course Pac-12 football all the way at you sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. Beautiful read. Thanks man. Uh, yeah well hopefully you guys can check that out and we gotta do our previews um, why don't we start uh, Mr. Woods at Stanford Cardinal <laughs> yes. You like Stanford?
0: I love Stanford. It's great school. My grandfather went there. Oh. Um, yeah, that's about all I got. Uh, they've got the, you know, you can tailgate. That's a good tailgating place. There's some good
2: tailgating. You got David Shaw in his ninth season. Um, He's not so good anymore. I'll say that. Uh, stale. Maybe a little stale. You got some long time uh coordinators Trevita Pritchard's been there for 10 years. It's his third as the OC. And uh Lance Anderson's been there for 14 years, but it's his half of that time, seventh as defensive coordinator. And your boy David Mills. Davis Mills is uh, back at quarterback.
0: My boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh Tavita Pritchard. Um I mean I, I think you can in part link uh the complete destruction of Stanford football to maybe Uh, His contributions as offensive coordinator, I think that might be putting it a little bit strongly. Of course, I think David Shaw, um, as we have opined on this show many times, might have something to do with the offensive struggles of late um, over the last five years. Um, But they have not been good of late. um, And we will see if they are able to right the ship. Last year was very bad. um, And this year... Basically, what people are banking on is that they just kind of figure it out uh, because I don't think there's anything personnel wise about the Stanford team that makes me suddenly think they're going to be contenders again.
2: Yeah, me neither. Uh, they did get about four spring practices in. Uh, all of a I think there were 17 players that entered the transfer portal and a couple of opt outs uh, Paulson Adebo and uh, Walker Little, the cornerback Paulson Adebo and the left tackle Walker Little, both. Opting out for the NFL, so it's uh, there's going to be some attrition there up on up on the farm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so are we
2: listening to RJ? Yeah, we're going to do RJ uh, his voicemail right here.
4: All well, is getting ready for perhaps the most pivotal season in the entire tenure of head coach David Shaw as he enters his tenth year. Stanford's looking to bounce back from the only losing and obviously the only bowl-less season in Coach Shaw's tenure. Um, Things working in their favor is, first of all, would be an offense that should absolutely put up points. Stanford has quarterback Davis Mills ready to step into the starting quarterback job. Mills was a former five-star rated as the top pro QB in his 17 recruiting class, a class that included Jake Fromm and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And I think it's safe to say he's pretty eager to show what he's finally fully capable of doing. And the good news for the Cardinal is he's got a lot of offensive weapons, including perhaps the deepest wide receiver room that they've ever had at Stanford. Connor Weddington, Michael Wilson, Jimmy Pahoko, and Osiris St. Brown should all play roles this year for the Cardinal at wide receiver. They've also got two young running backs in Austin Jones and Nathaniel Pete that they're very excited about deploying. On the offensive line, they lost starting left tackle Walker Little to the NFL draft, but they're returning center Drew Dahlman and right tackle Foster Sorrell, and they feel very good about the sophomores who are going to be filling in the other three spots on the offensive line just because they were forced into duty last year and so have a lot more experience than you'd expect from players that young. On the defensive side, Stanford's just got to get better. They struggled against the run and the pass, and two of the big emphases this training camp, according to defensive coordinator Lance Anderson, have been pass rush and tackling. And so we'll be looking very closely as the Cardinal opens up at Oregon November 7th to see the extent to which they really have improved on the defense. Bottom line, if the offense performs to expectations and the defense can take even a modest step forward, Stanford should be a pretty competitive team given the schedule that it's got in 2020.
2: All right, good stuff from uh, RJ. Anything stand out to you, Dave?
0: No, I mean, the defensive assessment, I think, kind of jives with what we were saying, which is um, it's just kind of hoping they get better, right? Like hoping it just kind of performs a little bit better. I think offensively, when you have Davis Mills in that receiving core, I think you can, you know, you can see it working a little bit. Uh, but defensively, they they have had a drop off. They haven't had a truly elite year on the defensive end. I think in five or six years. Um, so, uh, and there's no, and I guess going back to what I was saying earlier, there's no reason to expect it. It's just they have to get better. You have to hope they get better. Um, so I, I thought RJ's closing note was a really good one, which is they should be competitive, and I think that's, I mean, just think about that. That's I think where Stanford is right now hoping that they're going to be competitive, um, yeah. not hoping they're going to win the division, but just hoping they're going to be a competitive team again. Cause last year, it, you know, it bordered on non-competitive in a lot of those games. So can they reclaim at least some of their form uh, from earlier in the Shaw era? That'll give me a lot of reason to think that Shaw isn't, you know, close to the end of his time there, but I'm not expecting it. I think the Stanford team is going to struggle.
2: I, I, I agree as well. Um, I mean, Maybe a guy like Austin Jones can have a huge, you know, they they've had some good running backs, obviously. Maybe Austin Jones has a big year. I think they're going to need those receivers, like you mentioned, to, to just really kind of carry the team. Sort of like what we saw Costello doing, like, the air raid type of stuff that he was doing before. But they get this. I mean, I think Stanford's still getting credit for being the Stanford from several years ago. And even last year, I was predicting they would do pretty good. And you were, you were dead right saying, like, nope, they're going to fall off a cliff. No, I was I like was
0: that. not even right enough. Like I did not predict what they ended up with. Um yeah. I thought they were going to be even worse. I thought they were going to be a little bit better than they
2: ended up being. Yeah, 4 and 8 uh not a good season. And I don't see I don't see a huge turnaround. It is crazy that's the first bowl-less season for Shaw, but I kind of see another one. Um you know, they get this primetime game at Oregon on ABC in week 1. I think that's going to be a bloodbath, you know? I mean, I just think they're going to get blown out and then it's like, oh, Um, You know, they got Colorado and Washington State at home two weeks in a row. Then, you know, certainly two opportunities for a win. Um, But all their road games suck. They always at Oregon, at Cal on a Friday night and at Washington. Um, You know, I think if they go three and three, that's pretty darn good. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to even do that. Yeah. Uh, Well, we'll see. All right. Next up, we have
0: California
2: Golden Bears. (laughs) So with Cal, I think also for spring practices, um, they had a bunch of opt-outs. I think there was nine total opt-outs for uh, Justin Wilcox's team, but uh, Tevin Paul, the outside linebacker, and uh, Jeremiah Hawkins was one of their reserve receivers. But, you know, there wasn't like a huge notable guys. They had a couple. uh, I think uh, Luke Baguette, the, the defensive lineman, transferred to Boston College. After the Pac-12 postponed, but you know, for the most part, I mean, what are you going to do replacing guys like Evan Weaver and Jalen Hawkins from that defense um, from last year? I think those that's where I think those are more important. The losses they had just from graduation, as opposed to like the opt-outs and transfer guys.
0: Agreed. Um, I think Cal. Um, I, I think we're both expecting them to be pretty good and at least competitive in all their games, um, and potentially, you know, if, if things break right, they could steal the north. Uh, interestingly, and I made this point last week in the, uh, solo show, but they got stuck with kind of, I think one of the toughest and more even cross divisional matchups, which is Cal versus ASU. Cause I think both teams are in similar positions in their respective divisions. Both teams, I think we're expecting to be pretty competitive in every game. Both teams could be really good, could be average, hard to exactly say until we see it, but, um, they got to play each other. There's only one win that can come out of that, um, so I think it's going to, you know, I, I think that it, it it makes it harder for either one of these teams to steal the division. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm interested in that game, um, but yeah, that's their cross divisional game. Otherwise, uh, they get Washington at Cal and they get Oregon at Cal, so that's pretty good. If they yeah. do have a shot in hell of stealing this thing, um, getting both of those games at home is a critical piece of it.
2: It is, for sure. Well, let's play um, our buddy Jackson Moore's uh, voicemail. Here you go.
3: The California Golden Bears uh, entered the 2020 football season on an upward trajectory and an odd combination of change and continuity. Uh, the Golden Bears have been well-known for their defenses in the Justin Wilcox era, but uh, they have decided to change hands with Tim DeRuiter and uh, Peter Sermon switching roles, Sermon now being the lead defensive coordinator Uh, The Golden Bears have a big hole to fill in the middle with uh, star linebacker Evan Weaver, who was an All-American consensus player and led the nation with 181 tackles last year. Uh, He has moved on, and safeties have also been picked by NFL teams over the offseason with Ashton Davis and with Jalen Hawkins. The Golden Bears also lost starting defensive lineman Luke Beckett to the transfer portal upon the Pac-12 postponement, him going to Boston College outside linebacker Kevin Paul has also opted out, leaving Cal with five starting spots to replace on defense to avoid uh, a significant drop-off from what we're used to seeing. Uh, On the flip side, the offense is actually returning basically the entire starting offense from last season, which was not the best in the conference, but started to pick up steam and was especially effective when quarterback Chase Garbers was healthy, uh, especially the last three wins, together by his lead and a 35-point performance in the Red Sox Bowl. Um, with offensive coordinator Bill Baldwin moving on to the Cal Poly head coaching job, uh, Cal is moving entirely away from the continuity of its spread offense that it was returning, instead of installing a brand-new pro scheme from new offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave. Uh, the longtime NFL quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator brings in a new offense with Tons of tight ends and fullbacks and smash-mouth running, which is almost polar opposite from what the Golden Bears have tried to do in recent years, um, but they do have uh, plenty of options to make it work. Uh, the Golden Bears returned Christopher Brown, star running back, uh, to lead that rushing attack, and they also added Wisconsin graduate transfer Bradrick Shaw, who is very familiar with that kind of offense. Also, after running a, an offensive line that was a makeshift group last year due to injuries and having to fill in players from week to week, Uh, this team is now a a pretty healthy offensive line with a lot of experience and uh, several veteran senior starters in that lineup. Uh, At wide receiver, they may also use some spread elements to utilize players like Nico Remigio, uh, the leader of that group, as well as Chase Garber's athleticism, at quarterback. Um, The preseason has been relatively unbottled for Cal, the one stipulation uh, that they've had to deal with. More than any is a 75-player limit for practice. Uh, they've had to put the other 35 players in a developmental practice and split up the team that way. Uh, Full-life periods have been limited to certain periods of time. Uh,
2: I think we cut him off there in three minutes. So, uh, but, yeah, you got a good idea for what's going on with Cal. I, I love my boy Chase Garbers is back. and I love that he's got his whole offensive line back. So. Um, Christian Brown, great running back. I I think this is a team that can do some things, especially with uh, Bill Musgrave coming in and running the offense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll be interested to see how well they do with switching that offense with just a six, seven game season. Um, you know, there can be kinks with that sort of thing and you have a limited, limited ramp up time to really get it going. I mean, there's no ramp up time. It's immediately games that matter for what's going to be the sole conference race. Um, so that's something, um, You know, defensively having to replace a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, all told, if Garbers can stay healthy, that team functioned pretty well with him. Um, Maybe that offense will be a little bit more functional. Hard to be, like, significantly less so. They haven't been good in, like, three years. So, I don't know. I can talk myself into this. I know there's some people who are poo-pooing the idea that Cal could be good this year. But I think Cal could be good this year. I like yeah. Justin Wilcox. I think he has done a really good job there as the head coach. Um, and I, yeah, I'll stick with them being, you know, good. Number two-ish in the league.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's in competition reasonable. for it at least. There Number two ish in the division. One of the things, it's a short season. Now you have a new I mean the defense you get a new defensive coordinator, but Peter, I mean it's the same kind of system that Tim DeRuder was running. Um it's a new offensive system, so and you know your are a California school, so there was limited, you didn't get to do as much work like as an Arizona State was able to do because of the local health restrictions, but they are the only team in the Pac-12 North that has both their head coach and starting quarterback back. Um, you know, Davis Mills had some starts and everything for Stanford, but uh, that, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, you keep your head coach. Um, you know, if Garbers can stay healthy, he was basically a starter for one and a half seasons. Um, you know, he was my MVP last year, any game that he played more than half the game, they didn't lose. They were 7-0. and So I, I just feel like if he can stay healthy, there's no reason they can't make a run and win the North.
0: Well, no. I mean, even more than that, if he stays healthy, they'll never lose another game. Right. We know the truth. <laughs> we just need to share it with people.
2: We know the truth.
0: We're, we are sharing the good news with everyone.
2: Share that good news. Uh, Chase but yeah, so,
0: Garbers is... Uh, He's, he's the winner.
2: He yeah. wins. Just All wins, right, well, baby. We're down to the Los Angeles schools, and uh, I guess we'll just start with this Who, one. USC Trojans. Who do we have on talking about that? Uh, we're going to just have me. No oh. oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to wing do it. Do you
0: you cover USC? I do. Okay.
2: Yeah, not that I've seen practices or anything. So Interesting. It's, it's very weird covering stuff now because you can't see practice you get these zoom calls
0: well, and you and know they're... you you want to watch you want to watch that Clay Helton coach squad I do want to watch like to see them I mean even in non-competitive situations just seeing them do the like that that magical dance of football out on the field you just want to see that
2: yeah. It's
0: like a it's like a symphony and w- with a masterful conductor
2: <laughs> with a masterful yes um but yeah it's weird because it's not even like the way they do it, we get Zoom calls in the morning with like either Clay Helton or a coach and a couple of players, but it's not like after practice, you can kind of ask what happened. It's really just sort of just random talking to guys, and it's in the middle of the week or whatever, and you know they have a scrimmage on Saturday, and we don't really talk to anyone until Monday. So it's, just, it's different, but we're doing whatever we can. Everyone's got to just figure out a way to cover the team. Uh, Graham Harrell's back for his second season running the offense and they bring in Todd Orlando and a whole new defensive staff uh, to cover the defense. They have also a new special teams coordinator. Most of the talent is back like they got all their specialists back. Um, They lost one returner kick returner, but everyone's back there. They only lose a couple of starters on offense and defense. Um, Importantly, Keaton Slovis is back. He was an absolute stud last year as a true freshman that was forced into starting duties. After JT Daniels went down, Daniels is now at Georgia, Jack Sears also transferred out of the program. So they only have two scholarship quarterbacks, Slovis and uh, Matt Fink. Matt Fink got a good win against Utah last year, but they lost to uh, Washington on the road. So they really need to keep Keaton Slovis healthy. Uh, one opt out was Jay Tefele, the defensive tackle, who's their best defensive lineman. They did have their best offensive lineman, Elijah VerTucker, opt out. But then he opted back in and that's going to be a big deal. For USC, even though they've lost a bunch of guys from last year, they still have a whole bunch of guys with starts on the offensive line back. So if they can piece something together and keep Slovis healthy, um, it's really going to be a fun offense to watch. You know, Tyler Vaughn's on Ross, St. Brown. They got a bunch of receivers, not super deep, but they got a bunch of guys there. And, uh, you know, they have a you know, probably a good three or four running backs, but they've often been hurt. Um, they had to play walk-ons last year. So we'll see if they can keep their running backs. Healthy and on defense, guys like Tal Funga, uh, I think he'll have a big year at, at safety and Palie Naoteote no, out of Bishop Gorman. Uh, I think or, or Todd Orlando's a, a linebacker guy, so I think Palie, who's just been this five star that hasn't done much, I think he's going to have a big year uh, for USC. So, you know, watch him, watch Drake Jackson. Uh, there, he's going to play more of an outside linebacker role, but he'll still be rushing the passer all the time. And overall, I think they should be pretty good. I think they're just going to be better on defense, better scheme. they will be a lot better on special teams. Cause they still got a lot of talent. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how they do it. But if the, the 24 seven sports came out with their talent index that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think, and, um, USC still has the most talent, uh, in the conference. So no reason they shouldn't be able to, uh, make a run and, uh, you know, win the PAC 12 South.
0: I think you're gassing him up a little bit hard. I think it's going to be a struggle for Clay Helton and certainly a victory uh, for USC to get to 3-3 three and three this year. Um, <laughs> and I, frankly, I think if he guts to 3-3 three and three with this bear of a schedule, I mean, it's not every day you have to host Washington State. It was not that long not ago that Washington State beat USC 10-7, to 7, all right? And that was at the Coliseum, okay? So let's just be real about this. This is a nightmare schedule. Arizona State at home. Arizona, do you know how good they've been historically in basketball? That is not an easy place to play. Utah at Utah, come on. Colorado at home. Carl Durrell, with all of his lived-in experience of playing USC as a player, as a coach, he's coming to the Coliseum again. You don't think he's going to want revenge? I it, Look, man, I mean, I'm not even getting into Washington State. Recently beat USC. Or UCLA. At the Rose Bowl, man, I, if I'm Clay Helton, I'm looking at this schedule and saying I if I go three and three, I get an extension.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't. Well, I, I think with the pandemic, even if USC, which they go three and three, that's an absolute disaster with the schedule you talked about. Like four and two should be the bare minimum wow. with this team. What um, expectations? This is yeah. this
0: is the unrealistic expectations of the USC football fan right uh, here on display.
2: Well, having the most talent in the conference and having the easier schedule. I mean, look at the team. Did you hear those teams I listed off? Those are six definitively Pac 12 level schools. If you look at the original schedule or the 2.0 schedule. What other?
0: I mean, they've got six Power Five opponents this year, Ryan. 100% of their (laughs) opponents are Power Five.
2: It is funny, though. Like the the USC fans are really upset because most of them, like you said, want Clay Halton gone, but. If you look at the schedule, they don't have to play anymore. Alabama, Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford. Like Those are the teams that were removed. Now, Stanford, you could say they're not that good, but those other five teams you could argue would be their toughest five games, and they're all gone. So, so yeah, it's, a, it's the, the schedule is kind of gutted from what they originally had.
0: Yeah, but still.
2: <laughs> but what's left is pretty special. It's the dope, ASU man. game, I think is a big deal. It's the 9am one. ASU did get to practice a lot more. I think USC would have been it would have been advantageous to play them later in the season than early. Look, okay, um, let's,
0: let's be real for just a second. Yeah. there are two games on this schedule that USC should have any business losing at all. And that's ASU on November 7th and Utah on November 21st. Utah mostly because it's on the road. Um, Utah probably won't be that good this year. But the thing is, it's Clay Helton. So the reality is, one of these other games will be way more competitive than it should be, and they will almost certainly lose one of ASU or Utah.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And uh, and there's just so much up in the air. If if they're thin at some spots, if Keaton Slovis gets COVID or something and he's out for a couple of games, like, dude, anything anything can happen. Um, yeah, I, I think they're they're. Their offensive line—they've they're, they're probably six guys that they trust right now. Um, they had a couple of players. Well, you
0: can only play five. That's a luxury.
2: Yeah, they but they uh, you know had a couple of players opt out. Uh, you know, got guys that just opted out like for the season. Um, yeah, I, I think there's there there could be some concerns if you get uh, some guys get quarantined in the wrong spots. But for the most part, it's a, still a really talented team. I think the defense is going to be better. Todd Orlando, you could argue, you know, he was one of the hottest assistants in the country and he gets fired by, you know, Todd uh, Herman last year.
0: I didn't know you found him so attractive.
2: But uh, he was, yeah, very much so. He was one of those guys that was like the hot assistant. Um, But then, you know, Herman has to have a scapegoat. They fire him and their defense is like even worse now. So I don't think that was him. And he usually does well, like where you get, you know, you could argue over time, but he's one of those guys where when he gets there, usually it's good. And uh, I like, uh, there, you know, um, Sean Snyder, their special teams coach, uh, he, Bill Snyder's son, and he was an all American punter at Kansas state. You know, he just coached special teams there forever. Um, I think they're just going to be a lot better than what they were in John Baxter. So I, I, I'm usually don't optimistic about this team, but I'm pretty optimistic that they should do well. I mean, it's a, it's like, it's a gutted schedule, like I said, but, you know, they go on the, they lose to ASU to open the season and then, you know, all bets are off. Who knows what's going to happen?
0: High in the sky. Look at you. Yeah. Setting just unfair expectations for my boy.
2: Yeah. All right. Uh, and the last preview we will do UCLA Bruins. Last and possibly least,
0: the UCLA Bruins. Uh, um, yeah, man, I don't know what to make of this team. Uh, your guess maybe not as good as mine, maybe worse than mine, maybe better than mine. Who knows? Uh, And that's really the story about this UCLA squad coming up this year. I'll start with one of the big who knows, uh, the defense. Uh, UCLA may be transferring extensively to a 4-2-5 defense. I use the word may because there is still a semi-lack of clarity about that, but I think you can say pretty definitively that UCLA will be running quite a bit more nickel, quite a bit more in a 4-2-5 format this year, Uh, but they didn't, technically change defensive coordinators. Jerry azanaro is still there. He's the one who installed their kind of previous 3-4ish looking defense. Um but Brian Norwood was brought in from Navy um as co well not co defensive coordinator. That was just what his title was at the previous place, but he's now something called the defensive passing game coordinator, which is, you know, a nonsense title obviously. Defensive backs coach and assistant head coach. But we know that he is also bringing a lot of elements of the four-two-five to UCLA. The hope is that it makes it a much faster and more attacking style of defense. But, you know, anybody who's been following football for a long time, uh, you hear that kind of crap whenever a new guy comes in um, to potentially revamp a side of the ball that's been failing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. We will see. Um, UCLA's personnel on the defensive end Kind of runs like this. The defensive line, pretty much a known quantity that it'll be good-ish. Uh, Osa Digazua is the mainstay there. He's a stud. Um, Daytona Jackson and Tyler Manoa will more than likely start alongside him. Manoa was pretty good last year. Daytona Jackson was didn't really play a whole lot, but he was fine. Um, and they've got some decent depth there. They'll be able to rotate some guys. Linebacker is a complete unknown. Uh, they lost four senior starters, essentially, from last year. So I I do mean almost a complete unknown. There's like one guy who has a reasonable amount of playing experience returning in the entire group. Um, And that includes kind of that rush end position that we are calling essentially a raider. Um, But there's there's just no way of knowing what kind of production UCLA is going to get at linebacker. Bo Calvert played one game last year and he's going to be the mic. So he he really hasn't played a lot in his UCLA career, but we just got to slot somebody in there. They have a lot of bodies, but it's a lot of true freshmen, a lot of transfers, and there's just no way of knowing how good any of them will be. Defensive back, uh, it was a really bad year for the defensive backs last season. Um, They were uh, basically uniform regression across the board. Darnay Holmes got worse. Elijah Gates got a lot worse. Uh, Safety's got a lot worse. Uh, Quentin Lake was out for most of the year. He was a starting safety. Um, so there's just hope, I think, generally speaking, that they're going to just be better this year, maybe in a different scheme, maybe with a different voice in their meeting room from the coaching angle, but there's just kind of hope that that's going to work itself out because there's nothing really fundamentally different personnel wise, except that Lake is healthy. So a lot of hope at defensive backs, a lot of unknowns at the linebacker, but some stability on the defensive line. Will that work out with the new mix in of four-two-five into like a top 50 defense that's the question. Um, offensively, UCLA is going to be a little bit in transition um, without the tight end group they've had in the past with Caleb Wilson and year one leadership Chip Kelly and then Devin Asiasi last year. It's now Mike Martinez, um, uh, former walk on Greg Dulcich, David Preby, um, Evidence Njoku that you just can't say that any of them are going to be dominant receiver types from that position. And that was where UCLA generated a ton of its explosive plays. Now, Chip Kelly has said, you know, he's probably still going to emphasize the tight end room because he likes his group there, um, which I think is just he wants to use the tight end because he wants to use the tight end. Um, But this seemingly looking at the roster, you would want to emphasize the wide receivers a little bit more and maybe the running backs. But running back's an interesting one because they are replacing Joshua Kelly. Um, Britton Brown is coming in as a transfer from Duke. He'll more than likely get the quote unquote, Josh Kelly role, which is basically between the tackles guy and split time with Demetric Felton, who is more of the kind of wild card who can slip slip out of the backfield, um, can play out of the slot, but also can take a few carries for you. Um, Maybe an ideal situation, since the tight end group isn't great, is to run a little bit more two back stuff. We'll see if he ends up doing that. Um, But that's been bandied about this offseason. Um, But one interesting thing, and this echoes what Ryan just said about Keaton Slovis, uh, Colson Yankoff, who we were all anticipating giving Dorian Thompson Robinson a good run in practice, uh, has switched to receiver. Um, So that was uh, supposed to be UCLA's reasonable depth this year. So now there is no quarterback depth. It's Dorian Thompson Robinson and then a walk-on Chase Arto Pois. I don't know how to pronounce his name because he's a walk-on. And Chase Griffin, uh, who's a scholarship guy who's, you know, probably going to lose out to the walk on for number two spot, which tells you about all you need to know about that depth chart. There's a true freshman in Parker McQuarrie um, who might be ready at some point this year. But for the most part, it's going to be between Griffin, the two chases, essentially. Um, And that's not good. If Dorian Thompson Robinson goes down and this is not to say that Dorian Thompson Robinson was any great shakes last year. He wasn't. Um, he turned the ball over more than anyone else in the country. But if he goes down, this could be an 0-17. Oh, uh,
2: well, here's there's one good aspect to this. I would say, do you know Chip Kelly's record against non-conference opponents at UCLA?
0: and 6 baby, and there's none of them. None. No, I, that's what I'm saying is I think Chip Kelly with that in his bag. So it always takes him the non-conference season to iron out those kinks. Well, he doesn't have that, which means all those kinks are going to be ironed out by conference play. I think if he doesn't go four and two, five and one, I think it's a disappointment.
2: Yeah. What What, are, what is your expectation for like wins? legitimately? I think yeah. two and four. Yeah. So at Colorado is winnable. Um you know, Utah, though. will so the winnable,
0: Yeah, the winnable games. I mean, the thing is, you can talk me into any of Colorado, Utah, and Arizona. Um, yeah. And obviously, Puncher's weird chance in the ASU game. I think USC will blow them off the field, and I think Oregon will blow them off the field. Um, the other four I could see happening um, in some scenario, but not all four. Um, I think at Colorado's, that's a tough sell. Utah at home, that's a, that's a better coach team. Arizona at home is one that I think you can more or less pencil in. Like, I think that's a UCLA win. Um, but that's the only one that I would say, okay, yeah, definitely UCLA's winning that one. Um, the other five, certainly not USC and Oregon, but Colorado, Utah, and ASU, those are, I don't know, in the puncher's realm. Like, I think it's more like 60, 40, 50 fifties in all those.
2: Yeah. So, Carson, Colson, Yankoff switched the
0: receiver he switched to receiver and he was definitely going to be the number two guy. Wow. That's yeah. uh, well, and I, mean, I think it speaks to the understanding within that program that Dorian Thompson Robinson is in fact, chip Kelly's guy and there will be no switching from him. And Colson Yankoff, I think wants to play. Yeah. I mean, that's my guesstimate of it because it doesn't make any sense because Dorian Thompson Robinson has not gotten through an entire season, just purely healthy. Like he's been dinged up a little bit in each of his first two years. If Colson Yankoff wanted to get on the field, he would almost certainly get on the field this year as a number two guy but maybe he's just not content to be a number two guy. He does have kind of blazing speed. Um, He's a really athletic guy. So I think playing receiver, he could legitimately break into that depth chart, but his way onto the field, I think is a little bit clearer to see at quarterback this year than it is at wide receiver.
2: Yeah. How many spring practices did UCLA end up having? I think it was three. might've been four. Uh, So USC, I did mention it. USC only had one. Um, So most of the schools today had three or four. Uh, were there any big opt-outs? The only
0: one was Kenny Churchwell, from what I can remember, and he's oh, a no. he was a safety who was unlikely to play a bunch.
2: Okay, so not like a, a huge impact there. Yeah, a couple guys like Chris Murray, like I think he transferred out. Um, Theo Howard went to Oklahoma, right? Um, yeah,
0: and he's not playing. I mean, there were a few different things. Theo Howard left early last year, actually, so it was kind of during the season. Um, Chris Murray bounced out, Jake Burton transferred out to Baylor, I think it was, when it was uncertain whether UCLA would have a season. So, But they got a replacement transfer in at, on the offensive line, Paul uh, Gratton, um, who will more than likely play guard and probably start at some point this year. Um, so they, they sort of replaced Burton, and you can squint and see a playable offensive line uh, for UCLA, but it is sort of like USC. It's about five, maybe six guys deep.
2: Yeah, Uh, well, we'll see uh, how the Bruins can do. I mean, it's uh, you look at the losses and there's guys like Joshua Kelly, you know, and he's in the NFL like Devin Asiasi was really good. Well, that's the thing is this
0: this offense has not been functional without Joshua Kelly. Um, He didn't play much the first like three or four games of his first year, Kelly's first year. And then he was out for the first three games of last year. Those just so happened to be. I mean, obviously, it was non-conference against some tough opponents. But those just happen to be the worst, you know, six games of Chip Kelly's time here. They haven't proven they can have a functional offense without Joshua Kelly.
2: Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we'll see um, where UCLA goes from here. I'm just looking at the kind of talent that was lost. On a, that was a four win team. Like, it's not easy to replace when you're not recruiting super well. And yeah, I mean, there's some dudes like, you know, Darnay Holmes. They don't grow on crees, trees or Chris Barnes or whatever. You know, I mean, yeesh. Well, we'll see. Not great, Bob. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we, that's our preview. So we finished all our previews. Yay. Yay. Thanks to all the publishers for calling in, except Utah. And then we'll, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back and do some questions. It was good. How was your break? It was
0: great. Loved it. Um, you know, just spend some time working on me. You know? Some a me time. Doing some self-care.
2: I like that. They're, they're going to always do that. Um, so, I don't think we have a ton of questions because you did a good job answering a bunch last week. But this is the section.
4: Now for my favorite part of the show. Well, that's say talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. <laughs> and do you remember
2: where did we get the uh, the Earl question in last week where the tall guy bearded guy? I think you. Yeah, did that. I did them all. OK, so, so we only the have
0: only a- the only one that we have is really hits today because we got another Pokemon thing. But we're just going to quote unquote post that on the blog.
2: Oh, yeah, that that hasn't happened. Uh, I'm sorry about that, Jason. I did it the first week and it's sort of a pain format wise to do. And I think Dave was supposed to do the second week, or maybe I did it twice. I don't remember, but then it sort of fell off. Um, But definitely email us. If you want to know Jason's uh, simulated season with the Pokemon, um, let us know. We will definitely forward you uh, these emails. Because right now, we got Washington leading the north. UCLA is leading the south. So pretty good. Pretty great. Uh, Stanford Arizona are in the bottom of both divisions, which that's plausible, right? Yeah. In in real life. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah uh, so really, we only have Hitler Day, huh?
0: We've only got Hitler Day, which is beautiful, right?
2: Do you want to do that? I'll uh, let me look at the uh, Reddit page. Maybe we'll get something like that. You you read Hitler Day? I'll check Reddit.
0: Okay. De Profundis, um, of the profound, from the depths. That's Latin. Okay. Uh, It was disappointing that Dan Sorensen didn't send in his voicemail by the conclusion of last week's episode. Well, maybe someday Utah will come through in the end. David was left alone to offer his thoughts on the Utes, which provided entertainment value at least. He expressed shock that Kyle Whittingham said the offense will have to lead the defense, which seems uncontroversial to me, given that they're returning seven starters versus two on that side of the ball. Yes. I guess that's true. It does seem, you know, interesting that Kyle Whittingham would say it since he's such a defensive guy, but fine. Fine, day. Make your snarky little point. See if I care. More to the point, I think that Utah's offense has, if a lower ceiling than some, a higher floor than most because there's so much redundancy built into their roster. Two viable quarterbacks, two proven running backs, two great tight ends, and they return most of their wide receivers plus getting Britton Covey back. Britton Covey, he's got to be, what, 75 years old
2: now. He's only a junior. I looked it up because I was like, I was doing the preview thing and I was like updating my Google docs. And so I checked on the official site. I'm like, wait, he's still there. And like, he's a junior, like a registered junior or something I'm like, oh my God.
0: They return four starters and two backups on the offensive line, and while it wasn't great last year, they've recruited pretty well at OL the last two cycles, and have a stable coaching staff developing them. What do you guys, what do you boys think of that take? And in general, how much more importance are you putting on depth when evaluating teams this year? Ooh, that's yeah. a good point. Um, because it kind of cuts both ways. Um, I think it should matter more, but also there was not going to be concerns as much because it's a half half a season sample size. So you're not going to have as many, I don't know, season enders um, during a six game season as you would during a typical 12 game season. So maybe it'll all kind of even out, I think. And as we're seeing with Wisconsin, I think if you have enough guys, enough guys go down, they're not going to play the games. Yeah. So it wouldn't matter if you had depth or not.
2: It's uh, no, I think you're right. And I, I think the best point he made there is the higher floor that. Maybe we don't know what the ceiling is that maybe this isn't going to be a third Pac-12 South title for uh, the Utes. But it's just like it's hard to picture them getting bad. You know, like who did they lose to last year? They lost to USC, a like, talented team. They lost to Oregon, talented team. and They lost to Texas. Like teams were talented. Now, they had a lot of talent on that team. But still, I, I feel like they're going to anyone that they can out talent or it's close talent. They're probably going to beat still you know even if you lose some of those superstars it's just can you get over beating the team that's got all those uber athletes on it because those are the teams that they struggled against last year but i think the floor is still high like i i I agree with hithloday on this one i'm just not sure it's going to be three pac 12 south titles in a row i think there's going to be a a bit of a step back but does that mean they're going to lose to like arizona like no i think they'll still beat the crap out of arizona but they're you know are they going to beat USC like I, I, I don't think they will
0: yeah I I, I'm, I could go either way on it um, I think they'll be decent um, I actually I mean I did like a kind of half well everything I do is kind of half idiot but I did a little bit of a, a my season projections a couple weeks ago kind of just building some random outcomes into it more than I usually do like instead of just saying who's better um, it doesn't take much of a stretch to actually have Utah winning the south again It basically requires having USC have a really bad game at Utah because the rest of the schedule, it's doable. Um, Utah, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and Arizona, that should be a win. At UCLA, dude, I mean, it should be. So then it's USC at home. That's tough. Utah at Arizona State, that's tough. Like, that'll be two in a row that are pretty tough. But then you get Oregon State at home, and you go at Colorado four yeah. and two seems like it's eminently doable and it doesn't take too much to get to five and one. Um, and it just matters who that, you know, one comes against. Um, but I think if a situation arises where they can beat USC at home, cause playing in Salt Lake Lake and mid to late November is a different deal than playing at the Coliseum. Um, as USC has learned at different times over the years. Um, I don't know. You could talk me into this. Um, and uh, I did talk myself into it a couple weeks ago. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this team wins the South. And I don't even think Utah's going to be that good. I think it's just a function of the South being really weak. And if I think you're, and if you're a well-coached team with a decent amount of talent and with some, you know, decent depth, as Day points out, is it that much of a stretch to think that they'll beat a p- very poorly coached USC team and then, you know, either lose or steal one from ASU that loses a couple other games besides? I don't think so.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't be shocked if Utah won the South again. But It was a
0: 12-game season. I'd probably be picking them them at eight and four. But it's a small sample size. It's six games. Yeah, they could do it.
2: Especially if there's some weird COVID crap that happens. Uh, But if this is a team that had some of the... and There's probably some stars we just don't know about. But you know, Huntley and Moss and Bradley and I and Jalen Johnson and Leaky Foto, like Julian Blackman, like all those guys are gone. And they still kind of got outclassed talent-wise by the elite talent teams on their schedule last year. That's the only issue I have. But I yeah, I think like this team will probably be four and two, five and one. Easy. And if they're five and one, they got a definitely shot to to win again. But I just for some reason I just think ASU is gonna be you know, the better team, either the first or second best team in the South.
0: Yeah. And I think all three teams will have a decent cha- shot at it in the South, yeah. because again, the, the bottom half of the South, I think is weak enough that any of those
2: will have a pretty decent chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. We didn't really have anything on the Reddit. We haven't really touched that too much, so we should jump on there a little more. Um, but there was a, I think someone tweeted about if Did you see Justin Herbert and the, uh, uh, Chargers, he got his first win um, as the starter, and they were throwing it all over the field. They were throwing it downfield, and someone like took a shot at Oregon's offense from last year, saying that they were running the ball like twenty percent of the time on third and long. And Hithliday came out with some stats saying that that wasn't true. Um, I said, "Show your work," and he put a bunch of stuff in there. So I don't know what if you guys want to check on our Twitter page, that was uh, that was some stuff that was going on back and forth. I forget who tweeted it originally, but they were really kind of taking a shot at Oregon. Now they, they got a new offensive coordinator and everything anyway, but um, they were, they were basically saying that Oregon was being a little too, too conservative with Herbert and in the NFL, they're just letting them like huck it down the field all the time. Yeah. Yeah. he look pretty I, good though. I mean, I, he's looking better than I thought. He, he looks like,
0: great. I I'm, I'm going to totally crow on that one. I mean, I'm always wrong on everything. So keep that in mind, but no, he looks like a stud um, way better than I thought he would um, accuracy way better than I thought it was going to be. Um, how many times, don't look it up, Ryan. Okay. Has, has USC won at Utah since Utah entered the league? Uh, I'm gonna guess twice. One time, One time. and it was okay. eight years ago. It was the first year. Yeah. That no, they I think the last seven. Utah. Yeah,
2: the last seven have gone to the home team.
0: Yeah. So this year is at Utah.
2: Yeah. So they just, would say. Yeah, just throwing the, it out there. If the streak continues. Yeah. Um, that would go to eight. Yeah. I mean, the problem is that this is a year with no fans. The, the, the travel is the only thing. Um, you're not, you don't get the must there. You don't have the, we've I'm seen kinda, USC out
0: on the fans being the big issue there. I think it is the travel. I think it's the, More like, being out of your comfort zone. I think it's having to get up and do something on a different time. I think it's maybe not being as strict with the curfews and guys go out drinking on Friday nights. You know, just stupid stuff. Um, yeah. I think it's a wide variety of different things. Um, but also it's going to be going to be balls-ass cold. Like it's going to be mid-November in Utah. That's not going to be fun. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to expect that to be a very tough game for USC. Yeah. Those were, those were much less talented Utah teams that beat USC's pants off in those games at Utah. And by beat is, their pants off, I mean one by like three each time.
2: That is true. The only issue I have is I got to see USC beat Utah last year with their third string quarterback so that was that was a problem i get and, it yeah um but you know we'll uh we'll see that if, if you know i mean you watch i, I don't know much if you watch in a big 10 but you know seeing indiana like pretty much get outplayed severely by penn state and still uh losing that game you turn the ball over a few times that evens out a lot you know like oh oh they don't have bradley and i well you just fumble like okay that makes up for not you know having a stud defensive lineman from the year before just you just fumbling the ball or throwing a pick or whatever. There's a lot of things that can even these things out. And like you said, playing on the road, um, for USC, that'll be their second road game in a row. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of scenarios here. It's a short schedule, but if you think that there's, you know, it's it's impossible for, uh, you know, Oregon state to beat, uh, Washington. Like, no, I think all those things are possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, all right. Well, cool. Good stuff. And, uh, Hopefully everyone enjoyed that we're back together again. Please leave us positive reviews on the Apple podcasting uh, platform. That's awesome. It really does help us. Uh, that's not hyperbole. It, it, you know, it, 24-7 people check that out. So when you do that, it does really help the show. Uh, so thanks for doing that. And thanks for you know, writing in and tweeting at us and all that fun stuff. We, uh, we'll have to do our, our picks next week, I guess, David. I, we, we timed this perfectly without planning it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to uh, get ready to get your uh, ass kicked
2: again. Yeah, uh, you definitely could, but it'll be you know, no no out of conference games. We're gonna have spreads on all these games. Um, now we might have picks. So what are we gonna do? So we pick a game if we're doing the show on like Wednesday, and what happens when the game gets canceled on Friday? So we just no pick. It just, it's just no just pick. Just goes away. All
0: right. Yeah, it just goes away. Um, and no bullshit. No, like, oh, all these guys, you know, are out now. No, we're building that in. When we make our picks on, like, the Tuesday, whatever. Okay, you see always without Dorian Thompson Robinson? I'm still picking them against Arizona. That's what we're doing. No more of this, oh, I'm going to send this tweet out, and that's a public acknowledgement of me making this pick, like, a half hour before the games. We're not doing that, Ryan. All right. It's so- a disadvantage for me who doesn't pay attention. <laughs>
2: So you don't want me to, like, if there's new knowledge about? Like, no, okay. I don't
0: want... No, 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 no. It's a closed box, closed system. <laughs> okay. Once, once we make our picks, they are written
2: in blood. Okay, what if we make the pick on a Tuesday or Wednesday and you say, like, okay, UCLA is going to beat Arizona unless DTR comes down with COVID. No, 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 no
0: stipulations. No stipulations. Okay. There's only room on the line in blood for the name of the school. That's but it. But if you
2: call it, like, if you call your shot, like... I think DTR I, might come down with COVID. I'm this sorry did, if he did, does.
0: Did, did, did I stutter? Okay. Did I stutter?
2: Okay. There's no yeah.
0: room on the line besides the team name written in blood. All That's right. it. And if you if you're so sure that Dorian Thomas Robinson is going to come down with COVID, then you pick
2: the other team. Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. I like written it. written in blood. Yeah. Um. And we have. To, are we probably going to do a one show a week, or do you want to try to do a recap and a preview? Whew. Whew. That's a lot to talk about, but
0: now you're getting, now you're getting salty. Um, I can probably, I can probably commit at this juncture to one. Now, could that change to two within a couple of weeks? Yeah. Well, let's, right. let's, let's stick with one for now. Um, with an
2: option, option to renew. Okay. We, maybe we can even do some in-person ones. Who knows? You
0: know, Who knows?
2: Mask wearing podcasts and shit. So just, was... just yelling
0: at each other from across the room. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, good stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed that. All of our team previews. Thanks to all the publishers for uh, chiming in and uh, leaving us voicemails and letting us know about the teams that you cover. That's David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time.
1: Bye. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings. And it just keeps growing.